We're changing technology. Just uh, we're just continuing in our series on some of the lesser-known characters of the New, New Testament and seeking to learn lessons from their uh, from their lives, as uh, summarized and snapshot and snapshotted, if that's a word, in the scriptures. I'd like you to turn in, in the scriptures to Acts chapter nine, and also if you could bookmark as well Acts chapter twenty-two. And we're looking into the lives of Ananias, a little bit into Saul, and uh, a, a very small part uh, to uh, in the life of of Judah. Three characters whose paths cross uh, in a city and uh, of Damascus, and we just want to probe that story and seek to learn some practical spiritual applications to uh, to our lives today by listening to the lessons uh, uh, that they learned through and the life that they lived. The uh, starting question for us this morning is, what next? Most times when we hear this question, it's in the context of calamity, impending. Uh, We've had a series of bad events in our lives, and we cry out in the morning, what next is going to happen to me? Could be calamity, could be persecution, could be bad things befalling us, and that kind of question. But there's another context in which this question is being used this morning as a, as a way of focusing our thoughts. And it was summarized by our youngest daughter when we overheard her one day trying to encourage a friend of hers to go and serve at Northland Bible Camp. And his uh, his answer was, or his question was, and what will I have to do there? What will I be asked to do? What will they make me do? And if you were Ananias this morning, and, and Ananias then, and thinking this morning about that question rolling around through, through his head, it serves as a lever into his, uh, his life experience and the things that we have to learn this morning. What next is God going to ask of me? And uh, hopefully through, the, through probing his life, we'll uh, learn some lessons for ourselves this morning. Let's just refresh our commitment to the Lord to hear him. Dear God, our Father, we are so thankful to have before us in our, your word in our hands, your spirit teaching us and seeking to strengthen us in our most holy faith, to strengthen our walk for you. We just commit ourselves to you afresh as we turn to your word together. Amen. Ananias has a very biblical name. Uh, it's Greek as we're reading it this morning. It comes from an Old Testament name. And as we've heard before, a lot of the, a lot of the names used in the Bible for people had, uh, had, a, had a meaning in, in their culture. Now, of course, that name was assigned when they were born and doesn't always translate into the kind of behaviors the parents were looking for. But uh, Hananiah in the Old Testament in Hebrew meant... Uh, favored by the Lord, or the grace of the Lord bestowed, and that kind of expression in that name. Ananias did live up to the Jewish expectation, I think, of parents who assigned that name uh, to him. A bit of a summary, uh, Ananias was a, uh, uh, from, he was from Damascus, and we'll probe that geography a little bit in a moment. He was a Jew 
And by Damascus, he was living outside of Jerusalem, a fair ways away, outside of Judea, outside of Galilee. And he was there uh, practicing his Jewish faith. Paul tells us in a summary that he had of that story in, in Acts chapter 22 that he was knowledgeable in the law. He was a devout observer of the law. Interestingly, Paul said he was highly respected by all the Jews. And in that light, we, we, when we read about the city of Damascus, there was a lot of Jewish people living in that, in that city. The scriptures talk about the synagogues, not just a synagogue. Uh, and we see uh, there that there was a lot of Jewish people living in Damascus. We also see that he was a disciple of Jesus, and David raised the question whether he was or not, and I would uh, interpret the scripture to say that he, he was, and we'll look at that shortly. The uh, thing we have in the scriptures when we study characters is we wish we knew a lot more about the story. Uh, God is purposefully putting them into the scriptures by inspiration of the writers, in this case Luke, to learn some things about their character, not what kind of people they were as as personalities, but who they were as characters in God. And the little bits that we see of Ananias, I think you'll see, is very rich with what what God did in his life and the lessons we can learn uh, from that. It's easy to get distracted by Saul in these in these uh, in the scriptures, but it's very necessary just to remind ourselves of a few things as we uh, lead to his part in the in the intersection of his uh, of his life with uh, with Ananias. He was a Jew from Tarsus. Now Tarsus wasn't uh, Jerusalem far away, but he was trained in Jerusalem under uh, the uh, Rabbi Gamaliel. And that's relevant, you'll see in a moment. Saul became there under him a rabbi, a Pharisee, and a member of the Sanhedrin Council. And we know the story well, how he became an enemy of, as Christianity was called in the early days in some places, the way. I'd like us to turn now to the scriptures and turn to Acts chapter 5 and verse 34. I said nine earlier, I think, but we'll get to chapter nine in a moment. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was honored by all the people, uh, stood up at the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. I'm jumping into the story here, but you remember the Christians were being persecuted in Jerusalem for uh, proclaiming Jesus in this, uh, this capital of Judaism. Then he addressed them and said, Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do, the, to, do to these men. And he gives some examples of men who rose but uh, failed and fell away. Verse 38, Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men you will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech, the scripture says there, persuaded them at that moment at least. They called the apostles, flogged them, and let them go if they didn't talk more about this Jesus. It would have been good for Saul 
to pay attention to Gamaliel's wisdom. His own rabbi told him, let them be. But Saul didn't do that. We, we, we see in uh, the ensuing chapters, Acts chapter 7 and verse 58, Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And Saul was there giving approval, verse eight, uh, chapter 8 and verse 1, uh, to the death of Stephen by stoning because he had a faith in Jesus Christ. I added the word terrorist to that last slide, and I chose that carefully. Uh, It's interesting to note that a, a man who was a religious man, trained in the law, uh, uh, the Old Testament law and covenant, could move from being a committed, observing Jew of the law, seeking to know God through that means that was given in their age, and could become not just a violent man, as Paul said he was, but a terrorist who strategically and tactically tried to erase the followers of Jesus in fear so that they would abandon their faith and if not, suffer death. What, what moves people from a religion to terrorism in the name of that religion? It's a thing that we were looking at in our songs a little bit. Sin comes in. Ignoring God comes in, and it gets deader and deader and deader, deader spiritually as we follow that trail and ultimately leads to death. That's the sequence taught in Romans 5 and the warning uh, by that teaching. Acts chapter 8 and verse 1. On that day, a great persecution broke out, brought, <laughs> broke out against the church at Jerusalem. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Acts chapter 9, a chapter before us. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. I've underlined this authority by which Paul was able to do legally what he uh, went to do. He, he was, uh, Paul summarized it later on in his life in Acts chapter 22, where he said that all the council of elders could also bear testimony with the high priest to the authority that he acted with at the time. And he asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. That's interesting. Most cities just had one synagogue. The villages had one synagogue for the Jewish people to meet and worship in. And here we have a whole series of synagogues that were there uh, for the purpose of the, uh, of the Jewish people in, in a heathen land. Paul, Saul at that time, wanted to go to Damascus and try and bring back some of these people to be punished. Now, why Damascus? Uh, Damascus, if you look at the map, we will in a moment, but it was pretty far away from Jerusalem and not part of Palestine and Israel at the time. It was under, like Palestine and Israel, a, uh, under the Roman emperor. But it was a very uh, strategically located commercial city, and of course it attracted a lot of Jewish people 
uh, traders there to establish their livelihood in that city. And through that city, their influences in Judaism would extend to the, to the land around. Now, what, what happened to Saul here? He, he looked at the, the followers of Jesus in Jerusalem and fully comprehended that these were not just an alternate religious group. In their belief, he was convinced that, uh, that if that caught on, it had the power, Jesus had the power, or that movement had a power, uh, to obliterate Judaism. And he understood that. So strategically, he started in Jerusalem, tactically, when they gathered together and rounded up people, stoned some to create fear so that people would abandon their faith. But he knew that a lot of those people, once the persecution started, abandoned and went north. And also that, that, uh, that, uh, that the way was expanding by their preaching of the gospel up into places like Damascus. So he understood, Saul understood that this was a big threat to Judaism. And he was out to make a name for himself, whatever his motivations were, uh, to try and eradicate this movement from the face of the earth. The question about Damascus and where it was is of interest to me uh, and I hope to us because Saul had a long journey ahead of him. And I'm reading into this story a little bit. But he would have traveled through, from, if you leave Jerusalem, I had to remember to bring a, one of Dave Hook's fancy technical tricks here. Uh, Jerusalem is down here. This is the area of uh, Judea, and north is Galilee. There's the Sea of Galilee. There's the Dead Sea we saw pictures of earlier. And he would have had to travel on one of these routes up uh, somewhere along the Jordan River, around the Sea of Galilee, this way or that way, and all the way up here into Damascus, some 150 miles by road. Now, Saul was not traveling alone. He was traveling with a group of friends probably members of the temple guard that had the force to do what Saul wanted to do. But he knew that he'd be traveling through all of these places where the Christians had just fled to. And he wanted to give them a signal as he traveled through those communities. By the way, he wasn't traveling on Highway 5 or Highway 1 at rocket speed with a, in the bus. He was going by foot. Five-day trip, maybe, or more. And... There, they didn't use cell phones. Everybody would be seeing this group with a bunch of soldiers there, probably, and saying, what are you doing? Where are you going? What are you doing? And so all he was spreading this terror and fear all the way along the, as he traveled. But I think something else was going on with Saul. And this is totally extra biblical. But it's driven from the place in his conversion story where he said, Lord, Lord, he was seeking God in his own way. And when the Lord came to him, I'm sure those 150 miles, what am I doing here? Sleeping in a tent, going out to gather some people, punish them, kill them. Something had to, you would think. Uh, just slow him down just a little. But they kept going. And we know this part of the story, and we won't dwell on it, but in Acts chapter 9 and 3, near, near noontime that day, he came close to Damascus, 
And suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And we know that uh, that was his conversion moment where God intervened in his life of death and desolation in his life and turned him around to being a servant of the one he, very one he was persecuting. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Uh, uh, he was told from the, the person in the, great, in the bright light, now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. These companions of his, they heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Can you imagine what's going through his mind over that period of three days of meditation and prayer? The, God, the way he had served God was totally wrong. He came to that conclusion when he saw the person Jesus or did, saw the bright light of Jesus' glory come to him and intervene and uh, bring him to an understanding of what his life was to become once he accepted him. So here's where the stories intersect. Ananias, Acts chapter 9 and verse 10. Uh, Luke tells us, In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. Now, this is all from the NIV, and I looked up this, yes, Lord, and it literally meant, behold, Lord, I am, the word is quite simple, but it seems to mean I am here. I think he was praying, my interpretation of that, before God at that hour when Jesus, in a vision separate from Saul, but the same person visiting him, uh, came to him to assign his next task. What, me, Lord? (laughs) Paul refers to that event this way in Acts chapter 22 and verse 12. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. Uh, That's really something about Ananias. He was one of God's own, I think, even as he was seeking God through Judaism. He, he, when he heard of Jesus, somehow he became a Christian. We don't have the details of that. We'd like to have them. But then, then he came, uh, we, we see him here as a disciple of Jesus and respected of, by all the people. That's, this, this, uh, Ananias was one quality fellow as we look into his life. He was devout to God. He was an observer of all that God had given to him to do. And then he, he served when uh, he was called by, the, by Jesus to follow him uh, and leave his Judaism religion behind. And he's active as an early, early Christian, I believe, at this point as he uh, seeks to listen to the, what the Lord uh, said to him. I believe he was one of God's own. David may have some other thoughts, but uh, I think that's fairly clear to me at least. The Lord asks him to serve. Acts chapter 9 and verse 11, the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas. This is for Scotty, actually. Uh, the person who assigned this uh, lesson said it was about Ananias and Judas. And Scotty came up to me one time and said, what? Judas Iscariot? I said, no, there's lots of Judases in the New Testament, Scotty. And today we, don't, we almost know nothing about this Judas. So that part of the message is very short. Except for this. <clears throat> 
the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man named from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Just pause and read those sentences very carefully. Put yourself in Ananias' position. You're praying by your bed at night to God. And this Lord, the Lord starts to speak to him. He says, go to Judas' house. Now, Judas was, by, by name at least, we understand him to be a Jewish fellow. If you read up a little bit in, in the commentaries about, about uh, Damascus in that time, there were many synagogues, as scriptures tell us overtly. The straight street is still evident in Damascus today as the main market street of Damascus. And Ananias' house, is, they seem to know about where it was, and Judas' house was probably an inn. seems like the, the companions brought him there, checked him in as Saul of Tarsus, probably to obscure the fact that he wasn't Saul from Jerusalem, who was the persecutor and terrorist, but that he was a man from Tarsus, and hopefully people wouldn't clue in to what he was. But Ananias knew who he was. Isn't that interesting? Ananias knew what had... Uh, what was going on because he was respected in the community. And even though they didn't have Twitter and, uh, and uh, Facebook and all of these things, there was a pretty short communication channel between Jerusalem via the Jews' communication channels to Ananias living way up in Damascus. Here we have the intersection of two tremendous themes, uh, two, two tremendous lives, Ananias and, and Saul, in being intersected and called by the same God to serve him in the individual way in which they called him. From God to Ananias, I'm asking you to assist with a man. You'll find him as identified as Saul of Tarsus. Maybe, maybe that's the Lord uh, trying to obscure for Ananias who this fellow was so that he would go, right? I don't think so. That's my first thought. Why did he say Saul of Tarsus to, to Ananias? Um, as I said, my guess is that that's how his com- companions checked him in at the Judas house uh, so as not to alert the Jews of, Jews of the area as to who this blind guy was. But the Lord asked Ananias to serve. And look at the, the ask that God has for him, but also the encouragement and strength and resource he gives to do God's will. What did, what did God tell him was going to happen when he went? Notice the verse carefully. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias who's going to come to him, place his hands on him, and restore his sight. On a physical level, that, that's something. On a spiritual level, knowing that Ananias needed to be encouraged, God said, you're going to do a very big thing for me. I'm going to give you the resources and I'm going to make it a miraculous big event so that all will believe that I am the healer. I'm the one bringing darkness to light. I'm the one involved in this man, Saul of Tarsus' life. Then we have the response that we can all sympathize with. But, Lord, not Kenya, but Lord, uh, don't you know? Don't, haven't you heard? We, we, we know what's going on down here. You can almost see this kind of thought going through his, his mind. Lord Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man 
and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. He hadn't yet talked to the Saul and his troop. He knew this from this communication channel we were talking about. And he has come here with authority. How did he know that? He has come with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. Paul testifies to this, this transaction as Saul had a letter from, from the high priest, to be sure, but all of the council also knew. This was an act of the highest-ranking Jews in the world to authorize Saul to go and do this thing. I put myself for a few moments in the position of the companions, members of the temple guard, his buddies, and what happened? What's this light? And Paul talks about that a little bit. They heard the sound, but they didn't understand the message, didn't hear the message. But they checked him in. They were still part of the, the mission. They checked him into this hotel and or inn, and uh, I wish we knew what happened to them afterwards. Did they head off back, scurry off to Jerusalem once Saul met up with Ananias? We don't really know, but interesting questions. But Lord, are you sure? And then we see the grace of our Lord Jesus reaching out to Ananias. I understand your doubt. I understand your fear. I understand your reservations. I understand where you're coming from, and I know all about what's coming uh, down the pipe through Saul. But, I love that word, but again, but the Lord said to Ananias, go. Now is the encouragement that comes. He wants Ananias to understand that this man that you are going to help is a man I have called, I have chosen for a very particular mission in life, and he is going to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. And then this strange verse is 16. Now I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Excuse me. I'm not sure what that verse really means, but uh, I think it has something to do there that he is letting Ananias know that there is going to be justice done for all of the the hurt and so on that that Saul had inflicted on his people. I, I don't know that. I'm just trying to fill in the blanks. But I think... What, what maybe is more being said is that the, sincere, the sincerity of Saul's new commitment to Christ and Ananias' commitment to do the work of the Lord uh, will be manifested in suffering that is inevitable in that culture for anyone who desires to serve the Lord wholeheartedly. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. I'll leave that one to you a little bit. Uh, for your own thoughts. So what did Ananias do after this encouragement? Uh, my summary is he served as called. And I put up both scriptures here, the one from Acts chapter 9 and the parallel passage from Acts 22. Then Ananias went. He showed up. He, As God called him, he went and did according to what God called him to do. And I like the way he did it. Ananias was an encourager. Saul was blind at this point in Judah's house. And, the, and, and Ananias comes up to him from behind, probably put his hands on his shoulders. Who's touching me? You can see Saul reacting. And what does he say? 
brother, Saul. The Lord Jesus, the same one who talked to you on the road, is the one that talked to me too. And he told me to come and see you and, and deliver you this message. I, I came here that you may see again the miracle and sent me so that you will be also filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts 22, he stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. Then he said, the God of our fathers has chosen you, repeating what the Lord had told him to understand. And, and uh, by encouragement, Ananias told uh, Paul what his mission was, right? Go, this is what you were to go and do. And then we read in verse 19, Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. And of course, Ananias is part of that group. And of course, Ananias is the one who gave him the access to his friends in the, in the synagogues of the city to preach the gospel of Jesus. Saul's perspective is, is got to be one of, uh, I'm, I'm in my new home. I've got a brother. I've got a group of fellow Disciples who also have been called by this, uh, by Jesus, who I was persecuting, and now I have been called to serve him. And it's in part because of the faithfulness of Ananias, the encourager. From the character of Ananias, he, we can just summarize by saying he was a committed disciple. He chose righteousness, and as a result, he was well respected in the community in which God had called him to serve. We're not talking about his personality. We're talking about the choices he made in life as to what he was going to, what was going to form his character and what kind of person he was going to be. And in his commitment, to summarize what we just saw, he answered when called. And these we need to take to our own hearts this morning and say, when God calls us, do we put up this, but Lord, don't you know, but Lord this, but Lord that? Because if we refuse him once, it gets easier and easier to refuse him again. Here, Ananias responded and he answered when called, even though he had legitimate concerns and there's nothing wrong with that. We all have legitimate concerns about resources and the people we're going to see and are we equipped and do we have the talent and the gifts and all of these things that can be legitimate but we cannot let them stand in the way of our responding and saying I will go. He faithfully passed on God's message and that's something again we can take to heart. We're not preaching about what we think things are about. We're preaching God's word given to us to know him and how to follow him. And respond to that ourselves in the way in which we live. Pass it on to others. And he encouraged him forward. And Paul, Paul stayed with his disciples, including Ananias, for these three days. And I wish we could participate in that discussion as well. We're going to sing a closing hymn. And I just want to highlight the connection between the, the message and the closing song. Both Saul and Ananias, without Jesus, were spiritually dead. They were following the wrong track. Each were seeking God in their own way, I believe, and, but mistaken and misled, misguided. They had rebelled. They were going down the wrong trail. And God intervened in their lives with a call. 
and brought them salvation, brought them deliverance from this past way of life, brought them a new life that he was superimposing in their minds and hearts through his word and by his spirit to serve him freely uh, in in their life before him. When we feel God's hands of providence, let's remember that he is always there. When we're challenged, he's still there. And when we are called, we are to answer. Death was arrested. We'll have a musical group to come forward. Return again to the theme that your river of life flows to those who choose you and that death is arrested when that life flows in. We thank you for your grace that flows so freely, your blood that flowed from the cross, and we thank you that it has touched us. May it reach to those around us as well. May we spread this love and your grace and mercy to those around us. Ananias brought that message of love and grace to Saul so that we too might choose to to tell others of this and that when we hear your call us, we would say, yes, Lord. So, Father, thank you for this uh, time and thoughts together. Thank you for the morning, and we pray your blessing on the rest of the day. In Jesus' name, amen.